so much for being here with us today. Connie mentioned earlier that, uh, that Rick is a guitar teacher. Rick is Ryan's guitar teacher. And not just any old guitar teacher, let me tell you, because I have a picky kid. And Rick teaches music theory. And that was, a, that was the selling point. That was really like, this is not playing. This is real music. So thank you. And thank you for bringing your amazing voice and your talent here this morning to bless us. So we have been on a journey. And as we move towards Easter, uh, the journey that we've been on becomes more and more poignant, doesn't it? Our journey over the last couple of months through the exploration of masters and mystics and metaphysicians has been about transformation. How have those whom we follow in the footsteps of transformed? What is it that they did that gave them connection to the divine so that they could change who they were and become who they were meant to be? And not only become who they were meant to be, but bring forth something that would bring light and hope and faith and ease and comfort into the world. So as we get ready for our Easter celebration next week, there are some things for us to remember. One of those things is we are people of many faiths. When we come together here, we have people who are Christian and pagan and Jewish and Buddhist and Sufi. We are a room of many people. We are a room of people not only of many faiths, but of many beliefs and of many ways of living on the planet. And so as we come to a date like Easter, we do so with a very open perspective. The perspective is this is a story that has been around for a very long time. There is something to be learned from this story. For some of us, we see this as the true life charting of a man's walk with God. And for some of us, we see this as an allegorical presentation of how we go from our mundane, regular life to living into the holy expression we were meant to be. There are some things about this story that are important. One of them is that the lead character was Jewish. And we don't take a lot of time to know what that means, to really explore the history. And I laughed because our rabbi here said in the early morning service that she was our token Jew this morning. And I just want to say to you, that's not true here. You can't say that. <laughs> but it is a time that we really want to explore why it is important that Jesus was Jewish. What was going on in the Jewish culture? And not only what was going on in the Jewish culture at the time of this story, but what about the history of the Jewish culture is so important to who we are and who we're becoming as transforming individuals in the, in the world. So I've asked my friend Rabbi Wally to be here to speak this morning. And you guys know me well enough to know I don't like all the pomp and circumstance of the, you know, the written introduction with all the letters behind it. But let me tell you that Rabbi Wally is a professor at CC and she has plenty of letters behind her name. And let me tell you that she is a fellow in her tradition put forth in the world to share 
the Jewish traditions. And let me also tell you that she is a chaplain for the Colorado Springs Police Department, called out in the most difficult of times. And you can imagine what type of character you have to be to be able to be there and be present and assist people during those times. Let me tell you that, that the most important thing I can tell you is she is my friend. And I love her. And she is an amazing, moving, caring woman on the planet. So will you please give a warm unity welcome to Rabbi Wally Carranza. Could help you turn on. There you go. Thank you. Shalom. Wow, oh, I love it because you guys have energy. <laughs> yes, I do. Energy I hear. I say shalom. Shalom. Yeah. It's really nice to hear that. Thank you for inviting me. And I knew as I looked out and said at the first service that I'm the token Jew visiting. Uh, no, that was that one and that one and that one and that one. And I know where to find the Jews in town. They come to your services. Okay. Usually I go to the Buddhist community, and they're there because they're the Djiboutis. <laughs> and they show up on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Are, like Christians go to C&E, you know, the Christmas and Easter, right? They show up for that. Okay, I'll, no, I'll do that. There we go. Okay, so you can hear. But it's lovely to be with you. And I feel so comfortable here because I am a Jewish universalist rabbi, which means that I was educated and ordained to not serve the Jewish community only, but specifically to serve the interfaith and uh, in general community. And my task as a fellow for the Jewish Emergent Network is to take concepts from Judaism out into the rest of the world. Largely right now for me, that means into the world that's trying to figure out how to fix some big problems. So we have folks who are coming into town. Let me tell you what's happening in Colorado Springs that you don't know. Every week, there's a group of people from one city that gather, different city almost every week, gather at the Franciscan Convention Center, otherwise known as the Center for um, Jewish Renewal right now, because we use it more often than they do. And they come in from law enforcement and from the judges and the probation officers and the, every part of that whole system and they come together around one word, teshuva. It means to rise, you have the right to rise again. You have the responsibility to get back up and get going again. And we all have the responsibility to both help you and to welcome you back into full life as you're rising. So that we stop thinking about the good guys and the bad guys, but rather think about people who make mistakes and need to get started doing good things again. I was really excited a few weeks ago because the folks from Boston came in. I had to be around all the Bostonians. The accent is so dominant. <laughs> Five minutes and you're with them, right? And they went back home after that week and they ended bail in the city of Boston by executive order of the mayor. They ended bail because what happens when someone goes to jail? They lose their job, they lose their house, they lose their school. And, you know, we really want to kick people who are having a, making mistakes. We really want them to stop working, right? And we want them to stop being educated. No, of course not. So they ended that because it doesn't do any good, and they got rid of that. 
And that might make some pretty significant changes in their city. In other cities, they're doing things like that. They go back and they take that one concept, that one Jewish concept, and put it into the world. Well, there are a few other Jewish concepts. And one of those comes about this time of year. We're getting ready for a holiday, a holy week as well. Ours starts next Friday night and will continue on. And yes, it was what Jesus was preparing to celebrate as well. It is what we call today Passover. But that's not our word. That's the word that we picked up as we traveled through Europe. And it has to do with putting blood on doorposts and hoping that angel of death would go get them and leave us alone. And that is not Jewish because vengeance is not Jewish and neither is violence Jewish. And as modern Jews, the reform community, the universalist community will reject that concept. Pesach does not, is our real word for this holiday and it does not mean Passover. Pesach in ancient parts of Hebrew actually comes from the same root that means to be prepared to move, to be prepared to journey. And that's our real meaning of this whole week that we're about to celebrate, which otherwise looks like a whole lot of food. How many of you have been to a Passover dinner, a Seder? Yes, okay. With Jewish people at their homes? Okay, so you've had the seven glasses of wine, you can barely, no, we you know, modify it a little bit. Otherwise, I have to stay over at your house today. Right? Um, I have the police chaplains coming over one night. They get, you know, like this much. Um, it's to be prepared. Otherwise, it's about the food. And it's about, gee, we survived. And that's not what it's about. I looked yesterday, as many of you probably saw on TV. How many of you, by the way, went out with the children yesterday? Anybody here? Yes, I saw. <laughs> I, I recognize some faces. Um, amazing group yesterday. All over the world, an amazing group. So as I was thinking about Pesach, this being called to go someplace else, it reminded me that we have to relook at this story. When the Israelites were captured... At first, they were guarded by their Egyptian captors. We know that. The Egyptians kept really good written records of stuff. We know what they did. They guarded them for a couple of hundred years. And then they didn't need to anymore. They didn't need to because the Israelites quit escaping. They're over here, if we can picture it. They were over here, and they had to go to work for, in slavery, work for the Egyptians but the, Israel, the Israelite camp was outside. And they didn't have to guard it because they didn't leave. They got stuck. They were in a bad situation. But going the next place to go was into the desert. And it didn't look really like someplace you wanted to go. So even though they knew that on the other side of the desert had to be a better place, they didn't flee on their own. They didn't leave. They just stayed stuck. Can you think of a place that 
you personally today are stuck? Is there something that's keeping you stuck? Not necessarily doing anything bad, but just not putting your foot into the desert and going where you're called to go. One of the young men who organized yesterday's march in Washington, David Hogg, said in an interview last evening that he was very stuck. He's been accepted at three major Ivies. And he was stuck not deciding where he was going to go. And stuck not knowing what he was going to major in. And his classmates were killed. If you saw him on TV yesterday, you know you're not stuck anymore. Because he knows where God's calling him. It's a Jewish kid. He knows where God's calling him. Into advocacy, into political life. We may have witnessed a senator in the making. Very strong. Very, very strong. Good voice. Sometimes it takes something very difficult to get us unstuck. For some of us, it just takes sloth to keep us stuck. Anybody else do that? My students so know that I do sloth that they bought me one one time. There is a sloth at the Denver Zoo that has my name on it. It's Dr. C's sloth. Because I can stay stuck in sloth, stuck in sloth very easily. And not wanting to, I love that animal. You know, it just kind of hangs around not doing anything. Waiting. You're not calling me, are you? That's kind of like where I was. I came out of the 2012 election. I toured the country doing healthcare stuff. And got back here and thought, I've got to go back to normal. And I wasn't ready. And someone said, you should go to seminary. A couple of rabbis told me you should go to seminary. I thought they were crazy. First of all, done with school. Don't have to do that anymore. So I put my toe in the water, and yeah, I really felt like I was being called to go to seminary, become a rabbi. Okay, maybe I'm called, though I still think you're crazy if you're calling me. But I put my toe into the sand, rather, and I actually enrolled in seminary without telling anyone. I didn't tell my family. I have adult children. I didn't tell them. I didn't tell Jean, my beloved one. I did not tell my, I didn't tell anybody, tell my friends, anybody. I enrolled in seminary thinking, I'll just fail out, because I'm the kid who never studied Hebrew really well. I'm the kid who sat in the back of the classroom and made up ballet combinations instead, you know. And they'll figure it out that, you know, I'm Jewish, but I know nothing, and that'll be it. I'll just fail out and be done. And, and then I found, okay, I passed. Wow. So you do the next class. Okay, and you do the next, and you do the next, and all of a sudden, you're at ordination a year ago. And I remember looking at the rabbi who was in, wrapping me in his prayer shawl, a prayer shawl that was his grandfather's, prayer shawl that his rabbi grandfather had buried under the wood in an apartment in Paris right before the Nazis came for him. And they've recently found this shawl. It's what I was wrapped in. The, the talit is what I was wrapped in for ordination. And I remember being wrapped in that thinking, why are you doing that? Oh, I'm here. I'm being ordained. It, it, it's done. This process is done. And then I realized the next journey is just over there. Because you have to figure out what to do with it. right? 
we all get stuck at some point. So I'd ask you to think about, where is it that you're stuck, but you're not going to give up where you're stuck. Nobody gives up anything. I don't give up stuff. I can tell you, I don't give up pasta. If Pasta Anonymous is going to meet, it's in my living room. Yes, it is. I understand addiction stuck, stuckness very well. I just don't understand why people would use heroin instead of pasta, but you know. <laughs> they haven't had it with basil yet. It's, I understand being stuck because I understand I know I should give up the pasta. I know I could fit in my skinniest jeans if I did. But I'm not going to give it up because humans don't give up where we're stuck. Israelites were stuck for 250 years with good motivation to get out of there, and they did not. So, we have to instead think about what are we called to? And rather than think about what you're called to, think about what might be on the other side of the desert. If you got unstuck, you could run around that desert. And it's 30 square miles, guys. Now, we wandered in it for 40 years. The joke is that the men were leading, and they won't ask for directions. <laughs> I accept that. I wish we'd had the GPS. Can you imagine it? You're going through the desert. Turn right. Turn left. Turn Agosh. Turn Adwat. Whatever, you know. Um, maybe we would have gotten there a little faster, like an hour or two. It's like from here to Pueblo, right? But we needed to be there long enough to figure out we wanted to actually go into the next challenge, and that was to go to the good place. So what would you do if you could go to that journey place, to where you're called? You are the most blessed people in the history of the world. Look at what we have. Honestly, Look at what we have. We have no war in our community. You woke up this morning and there were no guns fired. Okay, it's not Southside Chicago, at least, you know. Here, there were no guns fired. If you need something, you pick up the phone, you call 911, you call whatever, and it comes. There has never on the planet been a group of people who have been given more who have more stuff, more technology, more knowledge. Sound like the ad for Microsoft? We've been given the AI. Now we, we have never had a group of people with more. And we are not solving some really big problems. Because we're kind of stuck in day to day. With a lot of extra time in our day-to-day, sloth time. We have been called to look at what it might be that we personally are empowered or we together are empowered to do. I'd like you to take a look at some slides, some pictures, maybe to jog your memory as to some places where it just might be that you're called to journey to. Where is it that you're called to make a difference 
Is it here? Is it with the 65 million people wandering the planet today? We have 65 million displaced people. 11 and a half to 13 and a half million refugees outside their country. Or is it something very much right here? Or is it something within your family? Let's take a look at some slides just as a way of jogging our memories. Because sometimes images help. Michael, a moment. And we say, maybe it is that you personally are called to be able to look at what you could do, give that shirt off your back to someone who's wandering our planet. So we ask, where are you called to serve? Is it within your own marriage that you're called to make your marriage or that of someone else a great blessing? Is it in attending and celebrating with people the great blessing? Is it in opening your hearts to the fact that love does not have the boundaries that you may have grown up thinking it had? Is it in finding ways to celebrate life on our planet, whether it's in the life of a child, a child we bring to the waters in the mikvah? Is it in being with new moms, new dads, bubbies? Or is it somewhere else where it's harder to raise your children, but where the joy is still very, very great, no matter what the challenge. My grandson, the one before was too. But is it also perhaps in being with those couples who cannot have children? Those who have to say goodbye before they say hello? Is it in bringing peace where there is very little peace, mourning with those who mourn, and with those whose mourning seems inconceivable? Is it in defense of our country, in our town it so often is, and as it is in Israel, with our Israeli Defense Force people? Or is it in helping them because you understand that they're human beings and that they make human sacrifice? Is what you're called to the ministry of prayer? Or is it the ministry of putting your faith in your feet and being with people who take a risk to practice their faith? Is it perhaps that you're called to find new expressions of faith and just to celebrate? without being stuck? Is it, perhaps, that you're called to bring peace where there is very little peace? To, perhaps, even make your way to the places where our refugees are, where children are running from Boko Haram, or where children have given up hope of being rescued?
We pray as Jewish Universalists with you for peace in our own communities and peace at our synagogue and peace in your place of learning. We work, though, also to empower through our ministries and then through your own. I'm great pleasure of being able to work with those folks who write for IGF and do the radio show that we get to work with face of all kind because we realize we need that. Also my grandson. We bring that idea that there is shalom, that there is peace, but that that must call you to heal a planet that is in need of whatever gifts you have so that that planet no longer has its great trials. 65 million people are wandering our planet. 13 million, roughly, are fleeing something. And one of the things that we're doing this Passover, this Pesach, if you will, is asking, how can the universalist community, how can all those we reach out to, like your community, help those who are in that situation. Last year, one answer was shoes. I'm a woman. We get down to basics. I love the shoes. Uh, I like the ones that are you know, flat most of the time now, but heels too. Last year, this community of Colorado Springs put together 2,500 pairs of shoes. That's because in this week, when we travel around as rabbis, I got to travel around Colorado Springs last year and do it again this year as rabbis, we said, please leave your shoes behind. This year, you're safe. No more shoes. We've done the shoe thing. Israel houses around 150,000 refugees. If you've been to the country, it's tiny. At that same time last year, that we raised those shoes for Israel, 150,000 refugees, Um, the U.S. had 14,000 Syrian refugees. 150, 14,000. A little little difference there. Israel uh, has camps, has refugee camps, and the thing is people don't want to leave. They want to stay because the refugee camps are villages and they tend to be a little better than most of the kind of camp life. So they stay for quite a while. And most want to stay in the country. Many of the Syrian refugees are signing up. They do their service with the Israeli Defense Force, like every Israeli citizen does, man, woman. And they want to become citizens. So we took the shoes there through the U.S. Air Force last year, Um, took many thousands of shoes last year. They were taken to Nellis, and then the Israeli Defense Force folks picked them up and took them over. And the, the gratitude was great. This year, no more shoes, we're asking for the shirt off your back. Now, if you did not wear another shirt, it's not that kind of church, you know. You could bring one back next week. Boxes will be here for you. Short sleeve, lightweight fabric, polos, collars, whatever, you know, whatever works. People, when they're in a refugee camp, what I learned being there is that you have to give away your clothing to go have it be washed. You don't get it back again. 
people take their clothing and pile it all together, and it goes off someplace and is washed. And then when it comes back, it usually goes to somebody else. And a lot of it doesn't come back in good condition, and things, like, eh, things happen. So the need for shirts is really great. Next year, we're doing pants. Again, you don't have to leave them. You know. OK, that made the pastor at New Life really nervous for next year. He's already nervous for next year. Tell people that we're asleep. OK. So I'm going to ask you to take some time, and I've got some music for you to listen to that I believe will pull at your soul just a bit. I'm asking you not to look at the desert. Don't look at giving up anything right now. But you have paper with you and, and uh, pencils were handed out to you. And I'd like you to listen to the music and just open your spirit to where is it that I'm supposed to get to? Because that's what the Israelites were having to go overcome. They had to get unstuck by imagining the land they were called to. These were agricultural people. It was all about farming land. They were hoping to get to good farmland. And they wandered trying to find it in a desert. What is it that you're called to get to? What will your, their work when they got there was going to be farming. They knew what the work was going to be. They knew what they were called to do. We have a little more confusion. What is it that you're called to do when you get unstuck? What kind of power could come out of Unity Church, Unity Spiritual Center, when Unity and all the other communities in our town became unstuck one person at a time? Imagine what we could do. So I'd like you to listen to some music and let your mind go into your drawing. Now, I know that's not always comfortable. If you're not a doodler, you don't doodle normally. But try it anyways. It relaxes more of your brain and helps you get out some places that you don't normally use. You're not going to have to share it with anybody. I'd encourage you to take it home and share it with everybody. But let's see in the next five minutes what you might be called to do. Where are you being called to serve? What are you being called to do when you get there? What is the thing that drives your heart most? The problem that you want to solve so much and you know that you have the ability to solve some part of it. We'll take just a few minutes for that.
hope I gave you enough time. What would it take for you to decide that rather than being stuck, knowing that that's where you're called, what would it take to come out? Does it take to walk into the desert? Does it take feeling like you're going to be safe? Sometimes. We have to be brave. I'm not so much that person. I like safety a lot. But sometimes we have to be brave. And one of the things that helps us be brave is understanding that we're not alone. It helps to do things in groups, right? We saw that yesterday with 800 cities around the world coming out into the streets and marching for the sake of American children being protected when they go to school. Do you realize that yesterday children in Mogadishu were out in uh, support of American children being safe in school? Whoa. That children in Tel Aviv, 180 to 190,000, I've heard both, were out marching for American children's schools to be gun-free. Because they don't know what it's like to have a gun in a school. They just, they can't imagine what, the school's a safe place. They can't imagine. And they wanted to come out, and they came out yesterday. So, it's safer when you're in groups, right? Sometimes we have to go out alone, and we even... Ooh, that's even scarier. If what you're being called to really demands you take a step out alone, then you have to know you're not completely alone. Because otherwise, it's just too scary to take the, put your foot in that desert. So is there one thing that you can think of that might make you feel like you weren't alone? Your people of faith come from many faith traditions, but you're people of faith. And I'll give you the word we use. It's hashkivenu. It says, I am able to be wrapped in the protection of the divine, the protection of who I will call Adonai. I have 169 names for him, you know? But uh, in God, in divine, I am able to be protected so I need a volunteer any day. Oh, look, she's, got, she's wrapped already. She's got the shirt on her back that we're about to take. Okay. So what is it that you're, what's, what's on the other side? What is it that you're journeying to? Writing. Something? Writing. Writing. And writing can be a very lonely thing when you're doing it because you, you have to do it alone. And so you need to feel that presence sometimes. So have you ever been in a cold bathtub or the cold ocean? I used to go to Gloucester every summer with my grandparents. Give me a cold ocean. And when you come out, when you were a little kid, did you ever have somebody take 
the blanket or the towel, maybe your grandbubbies, your grandmas, or your mommy, your dad, and they wrapped you up in it. There we go. Wrapped you up in it and said, oh, you don't have to say anything. You're warm. You're protected. You're mine. You're mine. That's what we believe Ashkivenu is. You can take the Ashkivenu to, to, to make yourself comfortable and say, Ashkivenu. Ashkivenu for your writing. We have a song that we sing to children that does that. And I think sometimes we need to get songs in our heads. So you, you have the song on your song sheet on the back. It goes like this. Hashkivenu Adonai. God, wrap me up. In the vernacular. Eloheinu lak shalom. Our other word for God. In, in peace. Bring me to peace. Yakivenu malkenu. And for everybody else in your world. Lakhaim. You know this from Fiddler on the Roof. Lakhaim, lakhaim, right? To life. Bring life. Because once I'm wrapped up, my life is protected and I can bless the life of someone else. Once I recognize God's protected me and blessed me, given me more, then I'm very able to put that foot into the desert and get going to where I'm supposed to be. You can sing it with me, please. Hashki venu Adonai Eloheinu Leshalom Veakivenu Malkenu Lekaim. I love to hear people sing it when they get out of the tub, they get out of the shower, and they wrap themselves up. What a beautiful time to remember. You're not alone. He who calls you also wraps you. He who demands that you take the next step because you're his feet. You're the feet of the divine. You are the hands of the divine. There is no other way to do the work of the divine but through you. There's some piece of it that can only happen through the person you are. And he'll wrap you up and protect you we're going to move you, too, because he needs you. She needs you, right? So you get out of the tub, and you wrap yourself up. Hashkivenu Adonai, Eloheinu Lekha, Shalom. Ve'akivenu Malkeinu, Lekhaim. That last part, that Lekhaim, means you've wrapped me up. I'm ready for life. You'd bow your heads for my for blessing of God. Just happens to be through a rabbi, or you don't bow your heads. It's okay too. People bow bow heads. It's okay. May God bless you and protect you. May God let His light, her light, shine on you. May you come to peace. May you come to blessing. But may you come to be. Everything you were designed to be, putting your feet out of their safe, stuck spot that feels easy into taking a bit of challenge and risk because you know you're going to do something that your feet must do, that your hands must do, that your brain must do in order for God's will to happen in the world. 
Amen. Happy Easter.